wonderful to see you here at St. Matthew's this morning. Uh, way back 3,000 years ago, uh, King David penned these words which have become so famous in Psalm 23 where he says, The Lord is my shepherd. They're words worth reflecting on, aren't they? And they're words worth singing about. So would you please stand to, to join us in our first song, Your hand, O God, has guided your flock from age to age. Let's sing together. Father, we praise you that your mercy will never fail us, that with your strong hand you will always help us. Stir our hearts and minds today to love you and to faithfully follow our Lord Jesus all the days of our lives. Amen. Please be seated. And a warm welcome again uh, to those of you who are here in the building and those of you who are joining us online. It's wonderful to come together as the people of God, isn't it? Uh, for those of you who are guests, uh, a welcome especially to you. Uh, my name is Andrew, I'm one of the ministers here, and we're really glad to have you here or online. Uh, this morning we begin a journey uh, through the book of Romans. I think it's some time since we've studied it here at St Matthew's, and it's a, a, a wonderful prospect. 
to engage with this great part of God's word, which has brought such strength and influence to generations ever since the Apostle Paul first penned it. Uh, our Senior Minister Bruce will be introducing this series, and that's something to look forward to this morning. We also have opportunity to pray about matters close to home and further afield. Uh, we'll be singing again, as well as sharing together in the Lord's Supper. So lots of really good things to look forward to as we gather in God's name this morning. But uh, we've reached a point where it would be good for us to say out loud what it is that we believe about God in his love and in his greatness. So please join me as we read this short summary from the book of Colossians, this affirmation of faith. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood. Amen. I'm going to lead us now in prayer. I will range over all kinds of things. Let me, let me lead us. Heavenly Father, as we come before you now, we thank you for your vast power to create, to heal and to restore. And we thank you that in this fallen world, we know your promise to, to one day bring all things together in justice and love. We turn to you now with our concerns, our griefs and our hopes. As we begin this new sermon and study series in the book of Romans, we thank you for this profound exposition of the gospel of our Lord Jesus and the powerful way you've used it through the ages. Today and in coming months, we ask that you would work powerfully by your spirit in our church so we more fully grasp the wonder of the new life we have in Christ and learn to worship you with all that makes us who we are. We continue to pray for the people of the Ukraine and we ask, Lord, please bring peace soon. In the meantime, protect families and the vulnerable in the midst of this war. Give them endurance while there seems no resolution in sight. And we're so thankful that in a small way, our mission partners in Austria, Andrew and Michelle Bloomer, uh, are able to care for displaced Ukrainians. We pray, pray for them and their church that they would be of great assistance that, to those that come their way through their generous and practical love. Closer to home, we pray for our country as we prepare to vote in a federal election. We pray today for our own role as citizens, that we may be wise and considerate as we prepare to vote. We pray your, for your mercy on our country, that you would provide us with government which has great wisdom in leading us through these times. Within our own congregation here at 8am, here at we pray for those who have been regular attenders some for many years, but who are no longer able to come while in full-time nursing care or at home. And we name in particular Theodora Smith, Maureen Goldstone Morris, Dennis De Rosario, Pamela Collis, Robert and Ruth Ross, Liz Gillam, Norma Odlam, Jen and Russ Maddox, and Basil and Edie South. We pray that in their difficulty and isolation, you would be their ever-present comfort and strength. We thank you for those that, that care for them, for the wonderful care they receive from loving families and others who care for them. Now I'm going to leave you a moment for silent prayer where there is the opportunity to lift up matters of concern, particularly for loved ones, over the, over the next minute.
As we close this time of prayer, Lord, we ask that you'd be with us in this week to come. Help us to be humble and kind, quick to forgive, and to love those that we may find it difficult to love. Strengthen and comfort us at times when we are low in spirit, and may we turn our ear to you each day to hear your voice in your word, calling us to be still, to draw near to you, and to drink from your well. Amen. Right now we've got something that we're trialling here at St Matthew's. Instead of me giving the announcements, someone's going to do it from the screen. So I'll leave you to, to listen to that and then we're going to sing. Hi, my name's Suzon and I'm so glad you've been able to join us for our service today. And I really hope you felt warmly welcomed. If you're with us for the first time, or you joined us for the first time over the last few weeks, or if you'd simply like to get in touch, you can access our online connect card via the QR code on screen, or from the little cards in the seats in front of you. We would be especially keen for you to do that if we can help you out in any way. And we'd love to welcome you back next Sunday, or any Sunday here at St. Matthews and Manly. Now we have been announcing the Alpha course for the last couple of weeks, so most of you are across the details, I'm sure. But just in case, this is Alpha in a nutshell. The Alpha Course is a safe place to explore the big questions of life, faith, God and meaning. Over eight sessions that each include food, a short form and a discussion, you can share what you think with a small group of people. Now I'm now talking to our regulars. Today we've put these little cards on your seats, praying for five friends. I want you to take this card home I want you to think of five people that you want to be praying for and that you could possibly invite to Alpha. Now, the way I went about it last time, last year actually, just exactly this time, is I prayed and I asked God to drop some names into my heart. Then I put on two people that would definitely say no, two people that might say yes, and then just one wild card for good measure. I went away and invited people just via text, a very, very, very casual text. Initially, just to the launch night. And one of my maybes came along and it was life-changing. But seriously, the stories and turnout of people after we did the same thing last year was just amazing. So let's do it again this year, church. Are you with me? Grab your card, take it home, write down your names, get into your invite mode and invite your people. We as a staff team have been praying for you and we just want to stand back. Our women's weekend away is not next weekend, but the weekend after. We are heading to Stanwell Tops from Friday night the 13th of May to Sunday afternoon the 15th of May. I have to, have to, have to have final numbers to the venue by Thursday night, this coming Thursday night. So book in. I'm speaking to specific people here, you who always leave it to the last minute. You know who you are. Please don't leave it to the last minute. Please book in. As I said last week, if you have any trouble at all booking in for whatever reason, if it's technical issues, money, whatever, please get in touch because we will be able to sort it out. The only thing I don't want is for you to miss out. We have three amazing speakers lined up. We have great small group time planned. We have a lot of quiet time planned. We have a great girls night end on Saturday night. You'll meet the most precious people and I know you'll walk away blessed and fed and enriched. We're deep diving into the book of Jonah with Andy Jansen and Sky Weld. And then there'll also be a session led by the amazing Marilyn Buckley where we'll take time, take stock, take care and take hold of our lives after this crazy exhausting few years we're coming out of. Please don't miss it. For all the details, just go to our website. One last announcement. Next weekend is Mother's Day and it's going to be fantastic. We'll have Kathy Clark speaking at the 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. services and Val Campbell at 5 p.m. and 6.30 p.m. How cool is that? Now I want to plant an idea here. I don't want to miss either of these. So I might come to two services that day, just saying. So yes, a lot to look forward to, right? I think that worked pretty well, didn't it? Just nice to have Suzanne at eight o'clock for once. <laughs> uh, please stand, we'll sing for our collection hymn.
Our Bible reading this morning is from Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 15, and you can find that on page 1126 in the Church Bibles. That's Romans chapter 1, verse 1 to 15. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who were called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now, at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan to come many times to come plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. on yes it's on and uh, those who are watching online good morning to you as well let me pray heavenly father thank you for today we do thank you for this incredible book or letter to the romans and may you help us to with fresh eyes read it understand it and believe it deeply lord and be transformed as we understand the gospel with greater clarity and power in jesus name amen well, as Andrew said, we start a new series today and we're looking at Paul's letter to the Romans. It's a very famous letter. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that this letter is one of the most influential pieces of writing, particularly in church history. But it's a letter that has affected the world, no doubt. And one Christian writer, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Leon Morris, and I just realised I left my clicker down here. Adjust my microphone. Let's see why that is. Unbutton. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Leon Morris. He's a Australian Bible commentator. He wrote this in the introduction to his uh, writings on Romans. It's commonly agreed that the Epistle of the Romans is one of the greatest Christian writings. And it's worth asking the question as we start: Why is this letter so significant? And it's a very simple answer, I think, that you'd want to give. It's because when you read Romans, you get this incredible, powerful clarity about the gospel. It's an incredibly powerful letter, and it's all about the gospel. And why are we doing it this term? And there's no doubt this is not the easiest of Paul's letters to read through. Um, it's a long letter, as I'll explain uh, in a short moment. But... I've got a very deep conviction as we come out of COVID, 
and as we navigate an ever-changing world that we're in, what we need most of all is powerful gospel clarity as God's people here in Manly. We need to understand the gospel with great clarity. If we are to see the vision of the church go forward, we need to believe this gospel deeply. We don't just need to understand it, we need to actually believe it. And thirdly, we need to experience the power of the gospel in our own lives. And that's why Paul wrote this letter to not just have people understand with clarity what the gospel is, but so that they might experience the wonder of the gospel and be transformed by it in their own lives. Now the vision for our church is this, it's to grow God's church through the gospel and so I can't think of a better thing to be doing than to actually focus on the gospel for this next period that we're in, particularly in the era that we're living on. Now as I go through this uh, introduction, I've got three things I want to say. Actually, I'm just going to give you a few interesting facts first. Uh, I've jumped ahead in my time. Um, it was actually written in AD 57, if you're not familiar with Paul's writings to the Romans, uh, which was basically when he was in Corinth at the end of his third missionary trip. And so we went through the book of Acts uh, last year and we looked at his second missionary journey. He came back to Corinth and when he was there writing uh, through winter, we understand he wrote that letter to the Romans in anticipation of also going to see them. Now the second thing is it's his sixth letter out of 13 and it's actually his longest. Now it's worth noting, I think on average, there's 1,300 words in each of his letters Romans has 7,000 words. Okay, so this is not a short, easy book to go through or letter, as I say. And lastly, it's worth noting that people in Rome were actually there on the day of Pentecost. And we know from Acts chapter 2, verse 10, that there were visitors from Rome. And so there is a possibility that there were Roman Christians from the very beginning of the gospel period that we uh, look at in the New Testament. Now, the more important question is, though, what is Romans about? And the very simple answer is this, it's an exposition of the gospel, both what it means and its implication for how you live. Now, we are going to cover the entire letter, but not in this term. We're only going to go from chapters 1 to 6, uh, and we will come back in next following years and work our way through, probably in three goes. Let me say, I don't want to miss the back end of Romans because there's some incredible stuff there about what it means to live when you understand the gospel. We will get there eventually. But the opening five, uh, opening section for me is really all about the gospel. And there's three things I want to look at today. Firstly, gospel authorship. Secondly, gospel content. And then lastly, gospel confidence. Let's have a think about that first one, gospel authorship. If you've got your Bibles there, I'd love you to have them open. We're at Romans chapter 1. I didn't actually write the page number down in my notes. What's the page number, Andrew? 1126. Thank you. So if you've got your Bibles from the seats in front, if you've got on your devices, all good. But let's just think about how this letter starts. And we often read over the introduction without thinking too much about what's being said as we jump into kind of the meat of the argument. Uh, but there's a longer than normal introduction here. I take it because Paul has never met the Christians in Rome. He's writing from Corinth in anticipation of going to visit them. And he starts this way. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. And Paul outlines briefly and clearly that this letter has a divine origin. Now, it's interesting to note how he describes himself. He says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. The word that is used there is doulos in the original language, which is a word for servant or slave. And that's how he saw himself in relationship to Jesus Christ. He was his servant. He was his slave. He served under his master and he was someone who was called to be an apostle. An apostle was someone who was sent with authority. And what Paul is saying is, I have been authorised... And I've been set apart, what for? It's the gospel of God. Now, it's a very striking phrase. I think what Paul is wanting to say to the Roman Christians is, uh, this gospel that I'm going to be bringing to you is not something that I made up. It's actually God's message. And then you have a look at verse 2. He says there, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets 
in the Holy Scriptures. In other words, this isn't my message. This is God's message and it's from ancient days. And when you think about it, it's something that was actually predicted and spoken about all through the Old Testament. Now, an interesting fact about Romans is this. Um, There are many quotes from the Old Testament in Romans, 61, in fact. 61 different times he looks back and says, this is where this message has its origin from. And there's 14 different books in the Old Testament that he quotes from. Now, the most prolific are the Psalms and Isaiah, for those who are interested. But what he's saying is, this is a message that is old, it is from God, it's not mine, and so it comes with the full authority of God. And I want us to stop and just think about that point in relationship to the day and age that we live in as Christians who are seeking to live out our faith in this world. In the day and age we live in, there's no doubt the gospel is a challenging message. Uh, It speaks of profound truths, some of which run completely against the grain of our modern thinking and our modern psyche. We live in an age that says, you, I, am the most important person in the world. That's the way our world portrays reality. I am at the centre, you are at the centre. And Romans will say rubbish, if I can put it bluntly. God is. And when you get to the end of chapter 11, you see this magnificent, what's called a doxoly of praise to God because he is the one who is before all things. He is at the centre. We also live in an age where we are led to believe we are all inherently good. Because when you take God out of the equation, well, who do you compare yourself to? Well, you just compare yourself to others. And typically, uh, we all think we're okay, probably a little bit better than the person on my left or right. That's just the world we live in. That's the way we see ourselves. And Romans will stop and say to us, think again. We're actually the very opposite. And I think this is one of the most profound challenges that the book of Romans is going to bring to us. The way it portrays our deeply flawed and flawed human condition. The famous words of Romans chapter 3 are that we have all sinned and we fall way short of God's standards. And that is a reality that we need to take hold of deeply. You cannot understand humanity without understanding the deep flaws that are within our hearts that turn away from God and produce sin in us. And this profound book will help us to understand that in the most profound ways. We live in an age that says, don't dare judge me or how I live or what I believe. And you think about the way people will portray their lifestyle choices and there's a real sense now that you cannot ever critique anyone or anything. And Romans proclaims boldly that we are all going to be judged, not by each other, but by God himself. And only those trusting in Christ will not be declared guilty. And this is the power of this letter, the way it confronts us with God and who he is in his holiness and who we are as fallen people. And the great temptation of our age that I see happening in ever-increasing ways is to make the scriptures say things that we wanted to say or omit things that we find difficult to say. And let me say, as your senior pastor, I keep seeing that in Christian churches and in Christian people, including here at St Matthews. Listen to what Tim Keller says about this issue in reflecting on the book of Romans. We, like Paul are not at liberty to reshape it, that is the gospel, to make it sound more appealing in our day, nor to domesticate it to be more comfortable for our lives. I thought that is such a helpful way of thinking about the power of this message. 
that it's God's. And we're not at liberty to reshape it to make it sound more appealing in our day, nor to domesticate it to be more comfortable for our lives. That's the first thing Paul wants to say at the beginning of Romans. We're only there in verse 1. It is the gospel of God. It's his message. But secondly, the gospel content. The gospel is all about our Lord Jesus Christ. And you can see there, verse 3, I've just picked out those three words. It's in regard to his son. Another translation has, it's concerning his son. It's all about his son. Let me read the verse. Who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, it is all about Jesus. The gospel is not primarily about my life and my needs. When I hear the people explain the gospel, on some occasions you could be excused for believing that I'm just trying to send you a message for how to make you have a happier life. That the gospel is all about how God wants me to have a better life. Now the good news of the gospel is that if you properly understand it and truly and deeply believe it, it can and will revolutionise your life for the better in ways you can't imagine when you first accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. I mean, my great hesitancy in becoming a Christian was that I thought my life would be over. But I discovered life in a way I had no idea about. But the issue is you and I are not at the centre of the message. It's concerning, it's regarding his son. That's what the gospel's about. Now, the word gospel in the original language of Greek is the word evangel. Oh, I've jumped ahead here. Um, and it literally meant good herald. And in the first century, if on a far-flung battlefield an emperor won a great victory which secured his peace and established his authority, he would send out heralds or angels to declare his victory, his peace and his authority. That's what a gospel did. And it's literally the sense of announcement of victory and the way the word is constructed, it's this sense of there is a good news to bring. Now, Paul, put most simply, the gospel is this declaration about the good news about Jesus Christ. If I can put it another way, it's not advice to be followed. It's not a message about our lives, dreams or hopes. It is news. It is good news about what has been done for us in and through the Lord Jesus. You see, we never grasp the gospel until we understand that it's not fundamentally about me. The gospel speaks about and transforms our dreams, our lives and hopes, but only because it actually isn't about us. It's about him and Jesus and what he's done that we could never do. And the gospel is completely wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. And it's worth stopping and asking the question, why has this letter been so powerfully impactful in history? And the answer is because of the profound way this gospel changes people. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration from the life of Martin Luther. Now, I'm sure most of you are familiar with him. Uh, Martin Luther was the German monk who had been taught by God that God required, sorry, had been taught that God required him to live a righteous life in order to be saved. He was uh, ministering at the very beginning of the 16th century. He was an academic. And he had this deep sense of trying to work out how he could be right with God. And there was just this sense of tortured soul as he tried to work out how can my guilt and my sin be taken away. And Luther stumbled upon the words from Romans verses 16, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, that spoke about the fact that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And as he reflected on that and laboured and thought, what does this mean? He wrote this, and it's in his commentary on the epistle to the Romans. 
I laboured diligently and anxiously as to how to understand Paul's word, the expression, the righteousness of God blocked the way, because I took it to mean the righteousness whereby God is righteous and deals righteously in punishing the unrighteous. Although an impeccable monk, I stood before God as a sinner. Therefore, I did not love a righteous and angry God, but rather hated and murmured against him. And then he says, and then I grasped, and that's what's on the screen, that the righteousness of God is that righteousness by which through grace and sheer mercy, God justifies us by faith. It is a gift to us. Therefore, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. I broke through. And as I had formerly hated the expression of the righteousness of God, I now began to regard it as my dearest and most comforting word. Now, Scott is going to come to that section and those verses next week. But it was this discovery that God is for him in Christ and that the righteousness of God is given to us through Christ as a gift by sheer grace taken hold of by faith. And I love those words, I broke through. There was this sense that the veil lifted and as he trusted in Christ and Christ alone, in his own words, I felt myself to be reborn. The content of the gospel is what is so profound and so powerful. What Christ has done for us. But thirdly, gospel confidence. Let's move ahead to verse 7. It's a long introduction that doesn't finish till verse 15. He begins by outlining the gospel is about the Lord Jesus. It's God's message. And then he starts to prepare the Roman Christians for his visit to them. Verse 7, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. And what Paul was saying here to a group of Christians that he's never met is that he believes that their faith in God was actually authentic. It was legitimate. Verse 9, God whom I serve in my spirit is preaching the gospel of his son. So God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, that the way may be open for me to come to you. And so Paul was wanting to go and visit the Roman Christians. And you see here his deep heart for them. He is praying for them. And there's a strength to what he says. I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now I can come and see you. And one possible issue that Paul faced was to some extent the Roman Christians may have asked, does he really want to come to see us? And Paul in... His ministry had had a number of times where his travel plans had been interrupted. It raised questions about his reliability and his authenticity. And he's trying to assure them, yes, I really want to come and see you. And as you read Romans, you see he's got a bigger vision of wanting to take the gospel now to new fields out and beyond where he'd previously been in, if I can say, the um, centre from Jerusalem up and round to Greece. He now wants to go to Italy, to Rome, beyond to Spain. And then we read this in verse 7, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. And then in verse 14, he says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. Now, I want you to just stop and think about what Paul is saying here. Um, Rome was, for the Christians and for the Jewish people, the great enemy 
that they live with in their day and age. It spoke of all that was wrong in the world and the godlessness of that era. It was going to, if I can say, the Babylon of their day and age, the place that opposed God. And it was always also going to a place that was both a mixture of sophistication and unruliness. He says, I'm obligated to both Greeks and non-Greeks, and the word literally is the word for barbarian. And the Greeks were the sophisticates of the day, the barbarians were not. They were those who literally, it meant the foreigners who had come in, often from the north, the unsophisticated, the unruly. And he wants to go there to Rome. Why? Because I'm eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. And so Paul was not put off by the challenges of the culture of the day. And what's eager, uh, what's interesting is, he says, it's in order that I might have a harvest among you. That's in verse 13. And what you see here with Paul is even though the culture would have been incredibly intimidating to go and preach to, both the sophisticated, the unsophisticated, the irreligious, the religious, he has this deep-seated belief that as he has seen gospel fruit in all of his ministry, so he will continue to see the gospel work powerfully when he comes to Rome. This is God's message. And God is going to use his message because it is the power of God for salvation to jump ahead to verse 16. I was thinking about how that relates to us here in Sydney and Manly in Australia today. If he was writing to us here in Manly, he might say, I'm coming for the upper classes and the lower classes, for the woke and the non-woke, for the Anglo-Saxons and the non-Anglo-Saxons. For the tertiary educated and the non-tertiary educated. In other words, he would be wanting to reach all people whatever way you want to slice and dice or describe the cultures that make up this country, this city, this place we call Manly. And he would not be threatened or challenged by any of the cultures that he was coming to face. Rather, he would expect the gospel to bear fruit amongst all of them. And you see, when you understand the gospel, that it is God's message about Jesus Christ who has come to save the world and offer grace and mercy and forgiveness, and it is the power of God, you will have that same confidence today. And that's the confidence we need in our culture, that we have been given the message from God about his son, and we have good news to offer our confused, our rebellious, our lost world. And here's the fascinating thing to note. Paul wrote this letter in AD 57. We have a snippet of information about Rome just seven years later. Sorry, eight years later. No, seven years later. AD 64. The emperor of the city of Rome was Emperor Nero. In 57, he was more sane. As the age or the years rolled on, he got more and more of a despot. And there was a great persecution against Christians in 64. We know about it through Tacitus, the Roman historian. Let me read to you what Tacitus said. This is in 64, just seven years after the letter went to the Roman Christians. Accordingly, arrest was first made of those who confessed to being Christians. Then on their evidence, an immense multitude was convicted. Not so much on the charge of arson as because of their hatred for the human race. And he goes on to explain 
the atrocities and the evils that Nero committed against the Christians, including using them as torches, lighting them up to light up his parties at night. It was a horrendous level of suffering and martyrdom that took place. But note the phrase, an immense multitude was convicted. This is seven years after this letter was first released into the Roman ether. And I can't be sure of this because I don't know the exact numbers of people who were Christian in 57. No one does. But what we do know is within seven years of that letter being unleashed, a Roman historian dispassionately describes that there was an immense multitude being convicted. And friends, I am not surprised because this is the power of the gospel that was unleashed in that city as they came to understood the message about God's Son who had come to offer grace and mercy and forgiveness to all who will come and believe in him. Friends, this is the journey we're on. To understand with clarity this gospel, to believe it deeply and to experience this mercy and grace in our own lives. And I pray, because our vision is that we would see God's church grow through the gospel, that we would have that same confidence that this gospel is the power of God to all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile and then for the Australian. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful letter. And I pray, Lord, that you would excite us and warm our hearts as we think about the gospel and all that God has done for us in Christ. Help us to hold on to your message about your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to have confidence in it and be transformed by it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're now going to stand and we're going to sing.
sounding in fine voice this morning. Please be seated. Are we going to share together in the Lord's Supper in a moment? Would you just raise your hand if you don't have one of our little communion packs and someone from the back will bring one to you. And uh, while you're waiting for that to happen, it's helpful, I think, to remove the lids to the little pack. Familiar, uh, for, for those of us who are familiar with, um, uh, with the Lord's Supper, uh, these are strange days for us using these little communion packs. For someone who is not familiar at all with the Lord's Supper, it would be even more strange. Uh, that here we are, we've got a little bit of bread and we've got a little bit of drink because we're remembering the death of someone 2,000 years ago. Uh, but that's what the Lord's Supper is about. It's about us going back to that night before Jesus went to the cross and to what he taught his disciples then, which is so significant for us even today. In fact, it's the very heart of the gospel. And that's why we repeat this, uh, this little celebration, this ceremonial meal, because we want to, we want to, we want to remember and take to heart uh, all that he did as he went to the cross and as he rose again. Let me just remind you what the scriptures say. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So it wasn't actually yeasty bread, it was flat bread. Uh, a lot of that had to do with where the Passover came from, uh, as, as the people of Israel fled from from Egypt, they had to rush, and God said, "Don't bake um, yeasty bread. Have um, have non, no yeast in your bread." So that was part of the Passover ceremony, and we have bread today, following on from that tradition. But in the same way, after the after the the meal, Jesus took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, "Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant." which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So in a moment, we're going to share in the bread and in the cup. But firstly, it's really appropriate that we come humbly before God, confessing our sins. And I've got a, a verse here from Romans chapter 3 to prompt our confession. When in chapter 3, verse 23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, that's who we are. So it's right that we come before God and confess our sin. Please join me. Heavenly Father, you've loved us with an everlasting love, but we have often gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us, and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I'll read for your reassurance what Paul goes on later to say, having... Um, having given such a full explanation of the gospel. By the time he gets to Romans 8, he says this, Therefore there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. I'll lead us in a prayer and then we'll share together in the bread and the wine. We thank you, our Father, that in your love and mercy you gave your only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our salvation. By this offering of himself once and for all time, Jesus made a full, perfect and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world and commanded us to continue a remembrance of his precious death until his coming again. Hear us, merciful Father, and grant that we who receive these gifts of your creation, this bread and this wine, according to our Saviour's command, in remembrance of his suffering and death, 
may be partakers of his body and his blood. Amen. So brothers and sisters, let's take this bread and as we eat it, let's remember that Christ died for us and feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And let's take these little cups and as we drink, let's remember that Christ's blood was shed for us and be thankful. And let's pray now, thanking God and asking him to work in us so that we live as those who understand and are shaped by the gospel of Jesus. Father of all, I'm sorry, I'll wait till we get it. Can we find it there? Let's pray this together. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your son and brought us home. Dying and living, he declared your love, gave us grace, and open the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup bring life to others. We whom the spirit lights give light to the world. Keep us in this hope that we have grasped so we and all your children shall be free and the whole earth live to praise your name. Amen. Friends, we're all but finished, but just a couple of things to do before we, we uh, wrap up the formal part of our gathering and head out to morning tea. I want us to let you know that Rhonda and I will be away on annual leave for the next couple of weeks. Uh, we'll be out in the, the, the New South Wales country, south coast and uh, central west, uh, visiting family and also having some time, uh, just the two of us. Uh, so I'm sorry we'll be away. If you have particular pastoral needs, uh, please be in contact with our office. Uh, Deb is also away uh, this week, um, but, but from the office we have a number of ministers, including Suzanne, Bruce and, and Scott, who are available, should you have a need. I'll also just remind you that um, one expression of our confidence in the gospel would be to pray for and invite someone to come along to the Alpha course coming on Tuesday week. Uh, so I don't have the card with me, but I encourage you to be praying, even just to send a text to someone who might come along. If you could find five, uh, that would be a really good thing to do. But would you like to stand and we'll say together the words of the grace, which I'm hoping will come up on the screen. There it is. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Amen.